Hello, Louisa here, your host for The Mix Project, a podcast exploring Pan-African culture and lifestyle. On this episode, we're talking about the beauty industry and not any beauty, but black beauty. Cha-ching! The black beauty business is a big deal, culturally and economically. And for that reason, I've invited women at the epicenter of the industry for an explosive talk on trends, beauty hacks, and to give an honest account of the challenges faced by brands and consumers. The black British spend is incredible. The average British woman spends £1,352 a year on beauty, skincare, hair care and cosmetics. That's just all British women. However, black British women spend six times this amount on average. This is a huge commercial opportunity for a demographic that has been largely ignored by much of mainstream beauty. The consequence of this exclusion of black women within the wider beauty conversation has resulted in many black women not really understanding their needs and the availability of products and services to meet them. In 2011, I started blogging and as such, I was blogging about my own natural hair transition and a lot of things that were going on with me at that time. It came to a point where I just could not go to any more natural hair experts It was a great time for us to really extend our digital voice and see how far it can go. But even still, today in 2018, whilst I believe we've come a long way, there's a lot we don't understand about the beauty business and even ourselves as black consumers. My experience working in consumer research for several brands from Batiste to L'Oreal Paris um, have really opened my eyes to the fact that as black women and black men too, there's a lot happening. The increase in weaves for black men is skyrocketing and we talk about that too. But, you know, aside from men, there is a lot happening in this space and I want to talk about it. So let's have a very delectable mix of women joining me this evening. And actually women who not only do I know through blogging and through um, my interest in the beauty industry, but actually we have a WhatsApp group called The Beauty Bunch. So I'm here with The Beauty Bunch today. And as usual, joining me is my amazing co-host, Agnes. Hi, everybody. Lovely to meet all those ladies. We're going to talk about beauty, sexy beauty, luscious product, testing and yum yum and everything delicious to make us look very pretty. Okay, so ladies, let's introduce ourselves. Hello everyone, I'm Ronke Adiemi. I'm the editor of Brown Beauty Talk, a beauty website aimed at women of colour. We cover everything from foundation, skincare, body care, fragrances as well. Hi everyone, I'm Patent Purple Life, aka Joe. I have a beauty blog called Patent Purple Life. I am a beauty addict, spend all of disposable income on beauty, and uh, there's not much more to say really. Hi, I'm Shagan. I run a blog called Lotions, Potions and Me. I also write for Hoffington Beauty and I run a business for um, women entrepreneurs in wellness, beauty and lifestyle who want to increase, look at their branding and get some PR and visibility. Hello, my name is Natalie. I run a blog called Beauty Pulse London, which is for the cosmopolitan British woman of colour. And I've been doing that for five years now. And in the day, I am a social media marketing manager, which I love. Agnes, hello. Did you say what you do? Let us know what you do. <laughs> do you know what? Every t- it's, it's like every time I'm doing something, I'm like, yeah, okay, it's fine. So, but no, I always forgot it's a new episode. So what does Agnes do? Agnes is what? So my agency is called Haiti 73. 
Uh, I work between Paris and London. I'm a creative director and a creative producer. So I help with strategy marketing, event, um, everything beautiful. So yeah, that's me. Okay, and I'm Louisa. I run this podcast. I also run the Afro Blush blog um, and I work in marketing, consumer research. And I've actually been doing a lot of work around marketing to black women. Um, and it's been very interesting and insightful. So I would actually be really interested in knowing and having a bit of a nosy as to what are your beauty staples. So what can't you leave the house without? If you had to leave the house with only one beauty item, what would it be? Joe, by the look of your facial expression. Are you sure it's just one? Just one. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, Then I would say mascara. Why? Because I wear big glasses and there's a lot of attention drawn to my eyes. So I think, yeah, mascara, everything else I can kind of work with, but I need lashes. Mm, Okay. For me, it would be lip gloss. So I've been wearing a lot of matte lip um, products lately, but some kind of colour on the lips, and then I think I'll be good to go. For me, it would definitely be mascara as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Largely just because... I love my eyes. I love the shape of my eyes. And I think it's always great when you can pick that thing that you want to emphasize. And for me, if I've got at least mascara going on, then I feel okay. (laughs) Me, it's because it's very interesting because you've all mentioned something because you wanted to put something into focus. And uh, me, I use makeup to hide. You know, you want to put something forward. I'm like, oh, let's hide this. So me, it's concealer. Because I have, you know, like a lot of dark-skinned people. We have dark mark on our eyes. And it's considered, I really, I, I put that and it makes me look 10 years younger. But it's interesting. Me, I use makeup to hide stuff and not to promote them. What about you, Louisa? For me, it's my eyebrows. I'm really surprised no one said anything. Like, I can leave the house with nothing but my eyebrows, if they are not done and if we're not slaying, we're not going anywhere. So that's really interesting. So something else that uh, came up in not only, I suppose, in the work that I've been doing, but just kind of something that I've only learnt recently is wearing SPF. Um, I've never kind of thought about it until honestly recently, because I've always just thought that I don't need it because I'm black and this is all this is all my melanin going on. So I'm absolutely fine. But um, this kind of black don't crack thing. Is it a fact of fiction? Because their science of ageing doesn't affect black women the way it affects other women visually. But I haven't come across any black women that have signs of ageing in terms of sun exposure. And I have a lot of family that live in Africa and I know that the UV exposure is very different here. But sometimes I also wonder if it's just kind of a marketing ploy and they realise a lot of black women haven't been using SPF. Um, And now we are. And I'm more than happy to do whatever it takes to protect myself from the sun. But to what extent is it fact or fiction, the idea that black doesn't crack? Uh, I think that black does crack. I think that in uh, Western civilization and with uh, the beauty industry focusing on white women, we are told that ageing means wrinkling and age spots, etc., etc. And that's not how the majority of us, but some of us age. So the signs I would look for would be more dullness in the skin and also sagginess. So if you look at your mother and your grandmother and your aunties in their 50s and 60s, it's probably not wrinkling that you'll see, but you'll see that their jawline is changing. I wouldn't go as far as to say jowling, but it's it's that kind of thing. So it's kind of those losses of collagen. I think in terms of women here and women at home, I know in my family in the Caribbean, 
Not one member of my family is out between 11 and 3. It's just, it's not done. You're in your work, you're in the office, you're doing stuff. You're not strolling the street. You're not going shopping in the middle of the day. It's just not what you do. So, so that's one factor about lifestyle. But I think the other thing is that for women who are born here or born in Europe, our sun exposure is different. So when I go to the Caribbean, my skin reaction is very different because I don't live in the Caribbean. And so those kind of impacts happen. And the final thing I want to say is that I have a sister who's photosensitive. And when I say that, people are like, mm, she's black. But you can have photosensitive skin regardless of your skin colour and you need to look after the skin that you have. Can I just add to this? I, I very much agree with you. Um, I think black do crack, but differently. Uh, L'Oreal actually did a study, a very expensive study, and it was like, ooh, yeah, black people don't crack. White people just age 10 times faster than black people. And I think that once again, they looked at it completely wrong. They've looked at it from their point of view as them being the standard. Do they do like us? Well, obviously we really do not. So we know that, everybody knows that. But what they should have looked at and think of is like more like on um, how does black people age? And when you talk about the, the sagginess and the change of, of skin tone, it's exactly how we age. We don't do the wrinkle. We age completely differently. But they've missed that because when we talk about SP, what is it? SPF. SPF. Once, once again, it's not about do we need it or don't we need it. It's more looking at the black community and say what do they need, and it's never from that point of view. It's always from the same point of view and comparing what their needs can we apply their needs into that community, which is totally wrong. Um, just to add to that, I think some of the reasons that sort of come up is because with black skin we have a natural SPF of up to about 13. So we naturally have some protection to the sun because of our melanin. But the problem with that is that people tend to think that we're not getting sun damage. We are still getting sun damage. Yeah. And also for black women particularly who struggle with things like pigmentation, uneven skin tone, SPF is such an essential. I mean, for me, I personally got into beauty because I had really bad skin. And that's one of the things I had to learn that I needed to protect my skin. So you're doing everything else to treat things that you know, you're struggling with. So the uneven skin tone or pigmentation left from, or scarring left from acne and things like that, but then you're not protecting it. And the sun just undoes everything thing you've done so for me it's absolutely essential so what is the best way to go about protecting your skin what products do you use or what, what would you advise currently i'm using um i use a facial oil from the afro care afro hair and skin care yeah. company yeah um and then i have a number seven face cream that has i think spf 30 and i just sort of put one on and put, and put the other on, but that is just an assumption. What is the best way to apply SPF? I've been using the SPF from Skin. Um, it is a spa or skincare clinic, and then they also produce products as well. And so there's sort of no nonsense, no frills. It's all about the product in the tube, and they come in two um, factors, so 30 and 50. And what I really like about them is you don't get the white film. And you have to... I think there's um, just the way that we consume products in general it's usually like splurging a lot into the middle of your hand. Yeah. But with um, SPF and sun cream, you really, really need a little bit. And it's the last thing you put on. So put on everything else in terms of skincare and then SPF on top. That's my routine. So 
Yeah, I wanted to ask about your routine about SPF, but also uh, how many products have you used before you find the one that suits you? Like me, I'm looking at, because I've got eight years old, so uh, at school they put um, sun protection on them, and he always asks for it. I'm like, ah, oh, no, no, you're going to look like a snowball, you know, because it goes all over, and they're all gray and white. So is there any product adapted to the black skin, and how many should I try before I pick one for, for my family? Um, I don't think there's a product made specifically for black skins. I think it's about looking at your skin type and finding out exactly what it is, what you're um, allergic to and what it needs. Like, for instance, I've got combination skin. I know that a creamy cleanser works for me. A facial cleanser works for me as well. And I use a mask every every week as well as a, a daily scrub. So that's kind of like getting yourself into a routine and finding out a bit more about your, your actual skin and what you're reactive to. Um, when I, about 15 years ago, I went to Nigeria for the first time and I had this, my nose started um, peeling and I thought, oh no, I've been bitten by something. And then when I got home, my friend said to me, you silly thing, you've been sunburned. And I was like, I don't believe it. I've not been sunburned. I didn't think I could sunburn. And that has really kind of like created my awareness about SPF for me. So I've sort of been learning about a few products. Um, Ultra Sun is supposed to be a good product. It's more like a skincare product with SPF in it. So that's something that I'm actually trying to work on using. But I must admit that I am very neglected with SPF. It's not something I take very seriously, but it's something that I'm trying to readdress. I just want to make two comments about SPF. One is that you need to look at the formula. So with Ultra Sun, it's a once a day application and they work really hard in terms of the formulation to make it that way that it lasts for the whole time. You have to apply it properly, which is that you put it on 15 minutes before you go into the sun and then you're protected. But the normal ombre solaire, sultan, blah, 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 etc. even in the higher price points, you need to reapply regularly. So How the, regular is regularly? You're supposed to apply every two hours. However... Who's got time to apply every two hours? <laughs> however, <laughs> however, so if, you're, if you put on an application and then you go to work and then you're in the office all day... And what about my makeup? Yeah, and then you would put on another layer to go home because that's when you're exposed. If you're going out at lunchtime, you would put on then... Um, and I think the reapplication of sunscreen is something that everybody is really like, going to mess up my face. So there are brands that do aerosol in a spray that doesn't interrupt your, your makeup. The other thing is that you do need to apply enough to let the ingredients, whether it's a chemical or a mineral active, do their job, which is why you really need to be like, if you're going to use it, you need to do it properly. Because if you've got a, if you've got a natural skin protection factor of 13 and then you put on a a moisturiser that's got an SPF of 10 and then you put on a foundation that's got an SPF of 15, your level of protection is 15. It's the top layer that protects you. It's not a cumulative, it's not right. cumulative thing. So I think there's a lot of misunderstanding amongst consumers about how to use the product properly. Okay, okay. And just to pick up on the question that you asked earlier and also to pick up on what Rinka mentioned, I think it's key to understand A, your skin type, but B, your skin needs. And also I think there isn't, it's not necessarily a case of saying this is my routine, I'm going to stick, stick with it. Because your skin changes as mm. well. So, you know, various different things can affect your skin from your diet to your hormones to your stress. To, you know, various different things can affect your skin. So it's that thing about looking at what's going on with your skin at that particular time and actually making sure that whatever products you're using are actually working for whatever's going on with your skin at that particular time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what foundation are you guys wearing like right now? I am wearing the L'Oreal True Match powder because I put on SPF before I came out. And True Match powder? Yeah, do you want to see? Yeah, have you even ever been able to find that? that? Yes. I can't. Oh. 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 
okay. I have never found it in... Let me know what shade you want and I can hook you up. Okay. <laughs> me too, please. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I've seen the liquid in shades, yeah. oh. but not the powder. Stick How'd you find me. it? Stick with me, kid. <laughs> <laughs> she knows people that knows people. One of my top tips for finding products for black women is to go where there aren't a lot of black women because those products will stay on the shelf. So if I go to Brixton or Stratford or Hackney, the products that I want, lots of other women want, but if I go to Morden or somewhere else, those products are still there because the demographic don't want that product. Any more tips than ladies? Go on. That was a good tips, by the way. <laughs> I'm literally like, aha, that's like an aha moment. But I would just assume that they wouldn't have the shade in the first place. She's a pro loser. Yeah. Listen to her. She knows, yeah, she knows what she's, what she's doing. Okay, what are you, what are you wearing, using, I'm okay? Oh, yeah, I found that I've great. got a nut allergy. No, it looks awful. No, I can't stand it, no, it. it looks great. I okay. wouldn't have asked you otherwise. I would have just been like, Shagun. You're very <laughs> Okay, normally I use a Clinique Perfecting Concealer Foundation. Okay. Obviously, it's summer. So I went and picked up this Matchmaster from MAC. Oh. I swatched it for the next to nothing. Can so I, I found out something. Yes, you can. I found out something about the next to nothing. It's not actually a foundation, it's a skin product. But they've been promoting it as a foundation. But apparently that is very light. That's a very light foundation for the summer. And it gives you that um, pigmentation that you need. Oh. So I can't wait to try it out. Okay, it looks lovely. You use Clinique. What got you into Clinique? Because that's quite a more premium brand. Um, and, and I've always been quite interested in their skincare. Right. And then when they launched that foundation, I quite liked it because it had a wand. It's quite easy to ap apply. Right. And it kind of has that brightening look. It okay. makes your skin look very enhanced. Right. Okay. Because so I, I just it. imagine it's one of those brands you really have to have a reason to want to use Clinique. You wouldn't just stumble upon it. But what it's are you using? Accessible. Your Your skin looks really amazing today, by the way. <laughs> Do you want to know my tip? I put makeup on today. <laughs> Because I knew we were going to talk about beauty. I, I'd better make sure I look beauty. So, yeah, I put some makeup. I, I can't tell you what shade, what numbers, whatever, but it's MAC for foundation. And, well, it suits me. It really suits me because um, I used to have um, Hushiyama, Hushi, Shushi, Emura, who was the best for black skin a very long time ago. But no, you know, still maybe, but. Mac is very very good for me, so uh, but it was hard to find the right. I I get completely lost, so I don't have a routine. But I I'm sticking to product that I kind of that suit me so far. I don't know if I apply very well, but I'm trying to do that. I'm wearing the Smashbox 24 hour, I can't remember the full name, okay. but it's a liquid foundation and um, they have 24 shades, so quite a few shades for right. the darker skin tone. I really like it, but I also pair that with their primer water as well. Right. And in this weather, yeah. it's a godsend. Okay, so I was going to say, does just... it last 24 hours? Um, I don't know. Okay, I take well, it off. <laughs> but it, 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 wears, it wears really well. It, it wears really well during the day. It definitely does wear really well during the day. I've okay. been impressed with it. I've been wearing it for about three, four months now. Okay. But then a spritz of the primer water on top. What made you try Smashbox? Um, I did an event with them. Okay. And um, as a blogger, I'm sure a lot of the women in this room, you get sent yeah. a few things to try yeah. out as well. So some things work well, though, and some things don't. I think 
being the blogger, it's important then to share your experiences and be honest mm. about the products that you are sent to try. So Smashbox gets a thumbs up from me. Okay. I've actually got Clinique on as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, hadn't tried it, funnily enough. A friend bought two of them. One was a little bit too dark for her. She said, do you want it? And I'm liking it. I can't remember exactly what it's called. I know it's got an SPF 20 in as well. Um, and it's, yeah, and it's, it, no, it's not the even better. I don't know which one it is. It's, it's in the tube. It's got a wand? No, it's in a tube and it's, it's like a light. I almost feel like it's a cross between a tinted moisturiser and a foundation. It's not like a full coverage one. Um, but I really like it and it's perfect for this weather. So one thing I've noticed and I expected to be honest um, is the fact that we're not using any black brands. Okay, she just just crossed her legs. (laughs) So we're not using any black or brands owned by or targeting specifically to black women. Okay, I can see a lot of people have a lot of things to say. So, um, and I was just really interested, are black brands dead? Because it seems like, and I've heard, you know, um, on the streets that no one's really into black brands anymore. And actually people just want to be able to buy makeup from all or most brands. And this whole idea of, you know, diversity has been happening with a lot of mass brands extending their ranges. And there seems to be more of an appetite for inclusivity as opposed to specializing for women of color. So as women of color in this room that are all aware of black makeup brands, but are all currently wearing mass brands, are black brands for black women dead? (laughs) I think a challenge that has happened in the UK with regards to brands that um, cater exclusively for the black woman. Um, there are a couple in the States. The distribution has just been a real challenge. They're here today, they're not here tomorrow. Currently, we want great product. We want to be able to support uh, companies that are targeting us, but we need the convenience as well. And the distribution really hasn't helped. So can I just pick up on that? You say, okay, distribution not so good, so we can't really support them because they here they go, they here they go. It's not consistent. Would it be more consistent if we would be more supportive? No. They have the infrastructure in the States, and for whatever reason, it's just struggled in the UK. Is that down to management? Is that down to the distance? Is that down to different priorities? I don't have all of the answers, but they do great in the States and I feel that they really need to then focus on the UK and Europe market to get that loyalty. Mm. Now I hear what you're saying but we're being very cryptic here so when I think about black brands I'm thinking of Black Up, I'm thinking of Fashion Fair, I'm thinking of Sleek, I'm thinking who else am I missing? Sleek is now owned by Boots. Oh and Black Up is not black owned anymore. Oh. I think when when I think about black brands I think about. Who else? I'm just wondering who else are we missing just so I know. I think we're talking about British brands like MDM Flow. Okay. We're talking about uh, a brand called Color Blim Makeup, yeah. which is specifically aimed, yeah, produced actually, by yeah. black British women yeah. aimed at women like us. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something very special about brands like that because while brands like Canique and Mac, they might they will create brands shades for us. They might be missing a few shades because there's a problem with undertones when it comes to women of color. Absolutely. And I think those brands tend to sort of like get there or nail it a bit more than we do but as Natalie said it's about distribution and sometimes about marketing and PR they may not exactly have it nailed and that's where they struggle okay I think that for the 
big players and the big hitters, in some instances, there has been a reluctance to be contemporary. So for brands with a history and a heritage, for people of my age, what worked in 1987 when I was wearing makeup, does not work in 2017. Okay. And I think... Can you just... What was working in 1987? So in 1987, there was a lot of bright colours. So there wasn't a a nude, neutral element. Um, the textures were very different because makeup technology has changed significantly. And generally, the preference was for a red undertone and the product oxidised. And as time has moved on and makeup has developed, there may be instances where the technology that you get from your manufacturer, you're not picking up on that. Or there's a trend and it comes and goes and you've missed it. Or... Uh, black women are calling out for a specific thing and you don't listen so not every black woman has oily skin not every black woman has combination skin but if your products especially foundations are geared towards the oil free for people that are super oily then you're missing out a whole part of your demographic and you're not talking to them or catering to them or listening to them so I think that sometimes when you've been successful for an era you lose sight of the fact that you need to move and change with the times and that people's needs differ and that the generations that are coming up, because I am not a millennial, so I shop very differently from 18 to 24-year-olds, but I still want my needs met and I still want to be communicated to by somebody. I think my personal issue with a lot of younger brands that cater for women of colour is 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 an issue of quality control. I'm somebody that spends a lot... A lot, a lot, a lot of money on makeup. How much do you spend monthly? On average, I'm probably spending between 75 and 100 odd pounds a month That's on a makeup. Lot. It's a lot of money. And although I have a blog and I am fortunate in that some products are sent to me, the majority of what I review, I purchase with my own hard, cold cash. So. Can I just ask? Yeah. So that's quite a lot of money, but yeah. what do you purchase? Because, yeah, I can imagine you've got quite a lot sent to you. So with so many and being a blogger, I would think that you can request what they, what you want and they would send no. it over. So what do you actually purchase? I purchase things that work for me. I am a 40 plus black woman who enjoys makeup. Who looks like 12, by the well, <laughs> That's because I buy a lot of skincare. So I buy, I personally like luxury products. I like the whole emotional feeling that goes along with a product. I am, with skincare, I don't mind if it's more utilitarian, but for, for beauty. So, so as, as a shopaholic, would you say that you shop more online or you do no. the, 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 the boutique experience? I go into the boutique, I test, I touch, I play, I feel, and then I shop online. Sounds very. <laughs> I touch, I play, I feel, I buy. <laughs> That's how you do it, baby. Come here. But for example, with with smaller brands, and it becomes difficult when I'm writing a review about the product. If the label on your container is wonky, I don't want it because I'm paying, or I would be paying, hard cold cash for this product, and your branding represents you. And if your label is wonky, I'm like. Oh, and then if the pump isn't working, it's another, or if 
it doesn't function with the product that's inside it. I'm just like, oh, and these things are minor things if you've got somebody in your organization that's focused on quality control. So that's the first thing. But then if I take you aside and I say, hey, listen, your product's really interesting, but actually there are some things that I think that really could be improved on. It would make a huge difference. They get defensive, upset. What do I know? Who am I? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I life's too short. You know, I'm happy to give you honest feedback but if you're not going to take it on board and accept it receive it in the way that it's been provided and then keep it moving i'm done Bravo. <laughs> okay um okay so what do you think of um trade shows like afro beauty live which would be holding a lot of black brands sometime uh, owned by Chinese owner or Indian owner and few in between like Melarish, who's a black owner. To, are, you, are you going to go there? Second, if you go there, which brand are you hoping to discover? And if you're not, tell us why. I feel so sad to say this, but like I'm so over the Afro hair and beauty show, you know? I'm just like, I've been going there for year after year after year. And the products that you find there are just like loads of real. It's just, it, to me, it is just an extension of an Afro hair and beauty shop. Um, there is no, there's no swag at all. And, and like Joe said, we're spending a lot of money on beauty products. Black women, we care. We care about beauty and cosmetics. It's not just an issue of function. Like we care and we're all about the enhancements and the tactile experience, but it's just some dingy carpet. As far as I'm aware, it is the largest Afro hair and beauty Uh, showcase in Europe. If this is a representation of what Afro hair and beauty is, I'm like, I'm not here for it. Just to follow up on what Jay said in terms of trends and things changing, developing, and unfortunately for the Afro hair and beauty show, I feel that they have got really comfortable, mm. and for them, it's a matter of if it isn't broken. In their eyes, if it isn't broken in their eyes, why should we fix it? And also, it comes down to ownership. Um, who are the owners and what are their primary motives? Is yeah. it to meet a need of a diverse range of black women or is it to rinse and repeat what has worked for 30 Because last time years. I walked out with a book and a Labara SIM card and that was pretty much like <laughs> as much as I got Bar on the day. SIM card. <laughs> I think when it comes <laughs> when it comes to this, I think everybody is really right, and I think the only store who actually made a difference was RRS. Mm. They sm ah no 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 did you did you go last year? Yeah. I think they smashed it in terms of their communication. The store was amazing. I think that was really good for me. I'm not I'm not British. So Afro Black Beauty Live Live Love Whatever I've never been before. It's not a big thing for me, and I was quite impressed by RRS. For me, the Afro Hair and Beauty Show is literally a snooze fest. I get there, there's nothing interesting. I'm not excited. I see things like you said that I haven't I've seen for years, and even then I wasn't keen. And I just think there's so much out there, and there's so much that you can be doing to showcase what is there, what you know, exciting things, but they just don't do it. And like Natalie was saying, it's like who's behind it? 
why are they doing it? And that whole rinse and repeat of what you think worked, which even then was a little bit dodgy anyway, no. Okay, can I just say? I just, just one more point on that. And I think it then buttresses the point that we, black women are diverse. We really are. And I think in this room, we're going to get very similar opinions because we are quite similar, but we are representative of a group which actually is quite invisible in society in general, um, um, who like to spend £100 plus on products, who like luxury products, who like nice things, who don't want to traipse around a hall that's unexciting for two days. And so I think it's really important, though, that the industry, um, retailers, hear this voice because sometimes it feels like you're knocking on doors and saying, we're here, we don't fit into that box, we don't fit into that box, but are you ready to listen to and put us quote-unquote, in a box that we'll feel comfortable in. I think the other issue I have, just to you know, add a little bit more to what I said earlier, but I think it's the fact that I, there's no education when you get there. So you don't, they don't draw in certain speakers to maybe share their expertise, share some information. It's primarily focused either on hair, and even then, well... And then also there's rarely any skincare. There's rarely any sort of cosmetics and makeup. And I just feel like there's hardly any skincare. Yeah, they're not really, you know, the the name is the Afro Hair and Beauty Show, but it's not inclusive of what that's supposed to encompass. Okay. (laughs) I just wanted to say, as someone with locks, I find the Afro Hair and Beauty Show, I don't even have the words for it. Like, the... There are some brands that have attempted to educate me about locks and I've had to walk out of the seminar because I'm just like, that is not appropriate for the majority. Everybody, everybody's hair is different. Everybody's genetics are different. But you cannot be preaching to me about my 20 years plus of being natural and my 15 years of being somebody with locks. And I have been there when brands are telling me all kinds of bullshit about what I should be doing with my hair and when I say actually I'm not no I'm wrong look I'm wrong I don't know what I'm talking about the the natural hair element of the Afro Hair and Beauty show is not representative if you have corkscrew curls and a 3c that's great and I'm not hating on you your hair is beautiful but so are my locks I think the Afro Hair and Beauty show is pretty much sort of stuck in the 80s. They haven't really moved on. Um, they don't excite. They don't engage. And when you do go there, then there, it's very much like I said, focused on hair and a particular kind of hair. And it's also quite Americanized as well. They, haven't, they don't really include the British black beauty brand owners. And as a consumer, when I go there, I do want to talk about the brand, the products, um, what, can, what can it do for me? And I find that it's all about, it's all full of salespeople. There's no one there that's actually from the brand that's there to sort of like educate you or someone, someone from marketing. And I think they also need to sort of like think about the showcase, the actual catwalk, sh- the, the show, the catwalk bit. Because I think they're still doing Battle of the Barbers. Oh, no. and I think they need to move on from that and lose something a little bit more. Battles modern. of the Barbers is the best thing represent honestly that's the best thing but the, the fashion catwalk is not really something to it's not really fashion no it's not aspirational should i say so okay so that that's a good point in france we've never had anything like that so even i used to come i'm not a millennial either 
and I look like 12 too. <laughs> uh, but I used to come in, uh, in London in the, when I was 16 and I just thought London was fabulous because you had all that diversity. You had access to so many more products, uh, barbers, hairdressers, uh, businesses. It was fantastic. Now what I find, and you, you tell me therefore what you're doing because you, you sound to me to be very much British base so uh, Afro black not good enough but but why is it good enough so where, where do you go and find your inspiration outside of the UK okay <laughs> nobody's rushing here no because I think it was for me I started my blog beauty post London primarily because I felt there was the lack of the black British voice and I think it's really important because for all of us in this room and then the majority of my peers, this is my home, this is where I was born and bred and my Britishness is just as important as my blackness. So I'm inspired by the States, it's good to see what's happening over there but I want to then talk about that and reference that as a British woman of colour. And I think it's really important for the conversations we have amongst ourselves, but also conversations for the wider society. Because as I mentioned before, a lot of us are invisible and we are the go-to person, the token person. Oh, we've got a project, you'll know everything about it because you're black. They see you as black, but they don't see you as British. And so I think beauty is just allowed for me personally to have that more difficult conversation of representation. For me, what I would expect to see from something like the Afro Hair and Beauty Show is at the most basic level, great branding, well-designed branding and communications, nice press release, um, not just, you know, an accumulation of different parts of information in different fonts and sizes. So, and actually that is not a criticism to the people that I know are trying really hard, but it's just to say what I would expect, you know? Um, and I would expect to... If I'm paying, I think it's about £15 a ticket, somewhere between £15, £20, something like that, then I would expect to be entering a venue that looked nice and personified beauty, because I'm at a beauty show. But also that's representative of the black community, because I go, I, I don't go anymore, but I have gone and felt the eyes looking you up and down. I have felt the why are you here? And I'm a part of the British black As community. In, sorry, do, do you mean like beauty events that are not black? I'm talking about the Afro Home Beauty Show. It's a very, I've, I don't find it very inclusive in terms of the, the black British community. Oh, really? I think it's catering to a certain aesthetic. Who is and that And a aesthetic? certain, I don't know, but it's not me, a certain age group and a certain budget. So as a, as a black community in Britain, we are not all the same. We are not. We cover the most diverse range of everything. And I don't see that represented at the Afro Hair and Beauty Show. Mm. And also what I, what I would expect to see is trends, brands and products that I see are popular. You don't even have to be on Instagram for more than half an hour to see who is popular. Yeah. So that's what I expect to see, not kind of like brands that have just crawled up under the woodwork, you know. So... Um, yeah, that's what I would expect. So that, that's really interesting because um, you're all very British. And, but I think that actually the Afro-Black in beauty life thinks exactly like you. And I think that's the problem. Yeah, they're very British. 
They want to speak to the British people. Now, they speak to the British people and the black community in, in London, not even in England, but in London, in a very 80s way. But I think that actually in terms of beauty, I think a lot of um, black British are exactly like the, the trade show. Whether I, I think that uh, if you would position yourself as being the European voices, because you've got so much more than you can have anywhere in Europe, but you restrict yourself to being British, where you should be like, we are the voice of Europe. We are the voice of every single black woman in Europe. I disagree. Um, I think for me, so I'm, I mean, I'm British, but I'm also Nigerian. And for me, beauty just means so many different things. So my issue with the Afro Hair and Beauty show isn't that it's not necessarily representative of, you know, British beauty and hair, it's that it's just not representative of the beauty of black women. I agree. And that, to yeah. me, is the issue. It doesn't showcase the variety of hair, the variety of skin, the variety of just everything. And I feel like it doesn't bring that in place. I mean, aside from the fact that, you know, you talk about things like the banding, the marketing, the PR, it doesn't... For me, when I walk into... I mean, I'm very similar to Joe. I will spend on beauty. And I like to go to places where I walk in and I already feel like I'm beautiful, just by walking in the space. You know, I'm touching things, I'm feeling things, I'm smelling amazing smells. You know, for me, it's, it's partly about the experience that you, and that's not what you experience there. Uh, but now I really would like to hear your opinion, your feeling, because it's going to happen in a few, in few weeks now, about the Natural Hair Academy. What, 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 what have you, is any of you have been there before? I've never heard of the Natural Hair Academy. Okay. I haven't been, but I've heard of it. So, so what, what have you heard of it? Um, that it's a space for women, mainly with afros, um, to talk about their hair, their hair journey. W women with afros, or <laughs> women with afro hair. I just as opposed to as opposed to women with locks. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. No, no, no. I, from what from what I've seen, because I think it's actually it's a concept coming from the states as well. It's more like for for natural hair. It's, yeah, it's, but, but but often in the natural hair community, locks are the ugly stepsister. Okay, so, I see what so you mean. when I say it's for women with afros, I mean there won't be seminars about your locks. There won't be products that are specifically for your locks. There won't be someone with a do rag that caters for locks that reach your bum. There won't be products that are for me. We've got dreadlocks. Uh, advocate, how you say it? No, no, but, but I think in Paris it's going to be a bit... I've never been in the States. For me, the way I'm looking at it, it's like a major picnic mixed with Afropunk. But that the beauty, the beauty style of it. So yeah, there's a lot of girls who are natural, but you've got everything to do with education. You've got a very heavy entertainment. You've got celebrities, relevant celebrities. You have uh, skincare and hair product, workshop, and fun. And it's all out in a stunning, stunning place. And I'm very surprised that none of you are... Are you going to go there? Is it not something that you're going to go and visit? And I did receive a couple of communications about it because of people who will be showcasing. Um, I think for me, and this is just personal, I've found sometimes the natural hair communities to be quite polarising. Um and just haven't enjoyed being in this space where they are. And so I would see <laughs> an event like that and most probably 
give it a miss. Um, so, so if that was uh, Sephora inviting you for an event, would you go? If it was Sephora, I'd go. So, so why not go for this event with about our community, where our people are going, but you would go if Sephora invites you? Yeah, as I mentioned, it's what Shegan said, and I had to um, echo that again. It's really about the experience. And so I'm wanting an uplifting, a positive experience. And that is determined by the location, by the environment, by the people in the room as well. And unfortunately, I have just found where there's event, a lot of events where it is tailored to the natural hair community just haven't been that enjoyable um, because the reception, you may be wearing a wig at a certain time or you just want to try and break in and have a conversation. And I can't say for Paris, but I found in London, definitely, it's not always been the greatest reception. So... Mm. Natalie, can I ask you a question? If you met a guy and he seemed really nice, I don't know if you're seeing anyone at the moment, but no. okay. <laughs> well, guys, if you're listening, you know I'm doing a virtual you know way. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have your social media handle at the end, and you can slide into them DMs. But, um, but fine, if you if you met a guy, nice handsome guy, I don't know what your type is, but if you found out that he was wearing a weave. To what extent would that bother you? I've been if seeing, a, if at all. I've been seeing these man weaves on um, Instagram, and I've just been intrigued. And I think part of me, first and foremost, was like, "Oh my gosh, this is crazy." But the other part of me is like, "We're so creative as a people." <laughs> the first time I saw it, I'm, my jaw <laughs> dropped. I was just like, I'm, "Oh." <laughs> Hell the no. latest video I saw was a man getting his beard flat ironed. Oh, yeah. But apparently he was doing it so that the barber could then cut it and get it even. But he was literally running. The barber was running the irons through his beard. It's hilarious. And so I'm kind of each their own. If it's my guy and he tells me the backstory... But just, he needs to tell you that he needs to justify it. I think he would have to justify it. Would you need to do you justify your hair to No, and maybe I'm falling into the gender norms here a little bit, but um yeah, I was part as I said, part intrigued, part fascinated mm. and applauding as well because I thought, you know, this is a get I think for the black woman or people of colour, what we can do and have demonstrated is just our creativity through our hair and beauty. And that just seems to be incessant. My partner's bold. Mm -hmm. um, that could all he... change, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I want it to. I feel like if there was a traumatic reason why he became bold, I might feel differently about him looking to that as an option but I think in terms of just day to day I kind of like the fact that he just owns the fact that he's bald he's got that shiny bit in the middle and I can rub it it's cool shall, shall we ask our son engineer he is bald yeah. what he thinks and yeah, yeah. would you wear a, a, a wig a man weave, would you? I'm, I'm going to bring to you. <laughs> now, so please, everybody, a round of applause. Support him. Freddie, have you seen one before? I've never seen one. But I don't know. I think uh, probably for fun. Depends on the circumstances. I mean, is it for just a party or something? I don't care. I mean, 
I mean, I don't care in general, you know, whatever they wear, it's a problem of mine. Yeah, I just felt like such a hypocrite when I saw it because I was like, I would feel a certain way about my fiancé get wearing a weave, you know? And the thing is, is that honestly, the guy that wore it looked amazing. He, like, he did it, he got a high top, it was shaved on the side, like, trust me, it was lit. I thought, you're looking A1. But it's just because I know about that process. But then, you know, I will take off my weave, I'll take off my wig in front of my partner, I don't care. So it would just realize, it just occurred to me that something's happening. And something's happening for men, and something's happening for men and, and, and beauty. And it's something that we, we really should be aware of. Um, I like a well-groomed man, but um, weaves, uh, eyebrow waxing or threading or manicures, just a no-no for me. I just couldn't. But why? I just because feel like you don't a guy think should be a guy. And the whole thing the... about weaves oh, and manicures and grooming. What does that it's mean? Not, I feel like he's stepping onto my territory. You're <laughs> <laughs> a romp him. <laughs> <laughs> no. And the high top, I just don't understand it. Why can't he just grow his hair? Yeah, but what if he can't grow your hair? What if he can't grow his hair? Oh, I see. Because he's got like a sort of like... Yeah, bonus. just just the same way as we can't always achieve the look that we want to achieve. But I think a bald guy is a bit different from a woman who's maybe more bald women. I think it's a bit, a bit more acceptable for a guy to walk down the street with bald but who hair. who creates that acceptance? Is it not us? Is it... who who Who's creating the norms here? I just wanted, sorry, I just wanted to come back to the guy getting his uh, beard flat ironed. My issue is that, is that personally, I don't think you should be using styling tools on your secondary hair. Like, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be using heating implements on my armpits or in my vajayjay. I'm not. Yeah. So that, that for me was a problem. I didn't even know that that was called secondary hair. Exactly. I think it's that thing where... And it's like you said, I think it's that thing where there's a line mm. that each of us probably draws at some point where we yeah. think, this is the level that I'm okay with. I mean, I have to admit, I was like, is it, is it a thing? The, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen the weaves or the wigs on men. And I was like, is he an artist? Maybe he's some sort of creative. Is his new look? Or, you know, does he have some no, sort of medical condition? these are guys condition? going out. They're getting girls tonight, you know, and with I, that high top. I mean, I ha- yeah, I have to admit, I haven't seen it. And, and they're going to have to be telling girls, like, don't touch my hair. <laughs> Yeah, I, the thing is, we can't both be there going, don't touch my hair. I think, yeah, I would, I would, yeah. I think there's a bit where I, I have a line. I don't mind certain things, but I think I'd definitely struggle with the weave. So tell wigs. me concretely, where do you draw your line? I don't know yet, but I think probably the weaves and the wigs. <laughs> okay. What about you, Agnes? Where do you draw the line? Uh, I think, yeah, let's keep it all natural. You know, that's my line. Natural is fantastic. But then again, if it's something who's been sick... If it's something who had a sickness, I think it's fantastic, you know. I keep saying that. So we, we've seen men who, you know, maybe they've been going bald and they wear the, um, like, toupees. Mm. And to a certain degree, we're okay with those. So no, we're end- not okay with the toupee. No, 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 not that we're okay with it. But I, we I don't- co-sign that I'm not okay with the toupee. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean that we walk around like... But what I mean is we don't, we, we don't discuss it in the same way that we're necessarily discussing a weave and a wig. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's quite interesting. Why is it that we think, okay, toupee, interesting, but we don't say that much more than that. But for this, we're like, oh, each individual draw your, the, the line that you need to. But as you said, um, Louisa, some of the things I've seen on Instagram have been amazing. I was just like, 
Wow, this looks great. The process, you know, even the skill, the technical skill that the barber or weave technologist or whatever his new title is, has to have to create that just shows the level of creativity that we Mm. have. I have to admit, whenever I've seen some men do weaves or wigs for women... They just seem to take it to a different level in comparison so good. to when women do Like it. Anthony Cutts, like I aspire to be done up by Anthony Cutts. He is on an, he will, like, I'm telling you, turn you in from an eight into <laughs> infinity and, and beyond. Anthony Cutts, man. And those videos, I want to come in, mash up, and then he does, and then I turn around and the music changes. And oh my gosh, amazing. Yeah. 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 So... What do you think is the um, the backdrop? I'm always getting a bit deep, you know. But what do you think is the backdrop on um, black women having to wear the wigs and having to have the the weaves on? And we, we are so deep into that. I tell you what it is for me, where I come from. It's because where I come from, you would not relax your hair, you would not get a job. I mean, for me, growing up, so I, I lived in Nigeria till, till I was a teenager and then moved here. But for me, it was a ritual. My hair was done every single week. So, I mean, even at school, they would they'd call certain hairstyles. So, you know, some of them we loved, some we hated and dreaded if they ever called them. You know, so we had, you know, and you just have to get your hair done every week. It was, it was just something you did. So I think for me, I've grown up being creative with my hair. And for me, it's just an extension of who I am. So... I've never really thought about it in the sense of whether or not, and I think luckily for me, I've always worked in the creative industry, so I've never really had to, you know, sort of do the battle between whether my hair had to be relaxed or natural or whatever. Um, I mean, and I just love the fact that I can wear weaves, I can wear wigs. I mean, my hair's natural now and I wear my my hair natural as well, but I love the diversity and variety of it. Mm. I I would really like to talk on this point because I I think um, a lot of that, whether it's social pressure um, around the type of hair you have and, and how it makes other people feel mm. is probably a pressure that I put on myself and I think something that I've grown to realise doesn't exist if you don't want it to. It, 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 maybe it exists for some people, um, but I had been aware, probably in my teenage and my early 20s, aware that if I went for an interview, I probably wouldn't have my natural hair up in a bun or have it out or whatever, because I didn't want to be seen as being political, you know? And that is such an unfortunate thing to have to consider in life, yet alone as a young black woman. Um, But I think I've come to realise that and I've tested it a few times. So I've tested my hair and, and, and as I was growing up, just gone to work with natural hair and kind of seeing what happens. And sometimes nothing happened. And I was like, okay, it's not a big deal. And then sometimes things do happen. Like when I got my big chop, it was like, oh my God, you look like Grace Jones. And I'm like, I don't look anything like Grace Jones <laughs> at all, you know? Or like, oh, you remind me of one of those um, like Bond girls or like, but you know what they're trying to say is sass attitude like yeah exactly and and actually um no not really just kind of cut my hair but I'm just still the same person um but now I've just learned to do whatever and 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 do as as I feel and let and try and let my uh professional accolades and my personality shine through and not make it a big deal if I don't want to um and I have natural hair but I just love to because honestly 
my mood swings left and right all the time. Sometimes I want this and sometimes I want that and I want to be able to have the creativity to, to really do so. And I've actually learned to even be more comfortable speaking to people who are not black about my hair, which is, I think, another another step you have to learn how to deal with and, and people being inquisitive and, and when you should take it offensively and when it's just people being curious. Um, go on, Chigan. Go on, get it off your chest, girl. Get it off your chest. <laughs> get off. I think for me... <laughs> Somebody get her some water. <laughs> sometimes it's just that... Like you said, I love the, the inquisitive. Mm. But sometimes you're just like... No. no. No, You don't... You know, like, for example, so I've got a braided wig... Um, a braided wig on at the moment. Mm. I love it. It's gorgeous. Thank you. Thank you. Because and I can't sit down and get my hair braided like that. I'll exactly. Age, so exactly. Yeah, but it's gorgeous. But I remember walking into work and I've never, you know, when the amount of attention that I received, mm. it was just, it was on another level. There was, you know, you'd go to get tea and suddenly somebody's just stroking it. Just, just, just stroking See, it. I've never had this. And just actually no, touching no, no. my hair. No, no, no. And I, and I have, and even when I say things like, you know, you, you do the shifts. Yeah. Like, okay, it's not okay. I'm hoping I don't have to say too much more at this point. They're like, it's, just, it's so long. How long did you do it? <laughs> and what? And then there's just so many questions. And I think for me, sometimes I'm just like, oh. a bit much? Yeah. Okay. And I, I don't mind you asking questions. Yeah. And I'd love to be able to answer them. I mean, and it was so funny because I think it depends on the person as well. Absolutely. I think like any social interaction... Nobody wants to be called out for being different. So I don't mind if maybe if I'm making a cup of tea or I'm doing something and somebody goes, oh, by the way, you know, uh, the same way as if I saw a girl and I really liked her top, I wouldn't be like, hey, Gina, I like your top. Where did you get it from? I probably wouldn't do that. So I, I guess sometimes it's easy to be, um, you forget the how, I guess people forget that, it's cultural and they forget their cultural sensitivity. They forget their manners. Yeah, and I and I really I really don't mind when people notice or have something to say about my hair, but I don't like it when it's like a big deal. You know, you can just come to me and say you like it and if you like it fine. And also I don't care if you like it or not. And sometimes people feel inclined to tell you that they like it or it's different. And actually I know it's nice and I know it's different because I, I did that. I did that. So, um, but yeah, I haven't had the whole touching my hair thing. And I probably wouldn't take it offensively if it wasn't like petting. And it depends how people do do it. But it, it can, the line is quite thin. So just to move along a little bit, what do you think are going to be the next trend em emerging like in September and the next six months in terms of skincare and beauty? One of the skincare trends that we're beginning to see that I think is quite interesting is the use of fermented products. So um, it's kind of this whole kind of South Korean thing is still kind of continuing. And so, um, for example, fermented pumpkin and other different things that will have different effects on the skin and the whole kind of pre and probiotics. I think we're going to see more of that in the mainstream. And I think that for skincare, I think that's an interesting one. It's so where have you seen that in the market? I haven't seen that so, so far. You will find it in 
for example, Antonia Burrell uses um, some fermented ingredients in some of her products. So it's not something brands are not going to say, hey, we've got fermented products in our product. Who wants cabbage? Yeah. <laughs> but it's the kind of thing that you'll that you'll see kind of coming up slowly. I think if you're someone that takes a note of ingredients, you'll start to see some things kind of coming through. And I think it starts with the kind of high spec brands, not necessarily um, cosmeceutical, but natural brands as well, who are looking for alternatives to standard products for resurfacing or for, for other things. So I think that's an interesting trend. Um, I'll be interested to see if um, this whole idea of transparent foundation picks up i'm seeing it by a few brands i haven't tried it myself um and i haven't really seen it work on too many people but um i know that milk makeup are doing it glossier doing it and it'll be interesting to see if it picks up and if it is actually something that can work particularly as there is this whole um caked look that's happening at the moment with contouring but then on the opposite spectrum, there's also a kind of a move back to less makeup and actually wanting to have enhanced skin just with a little bit of something, but not much. So it'd be interesting to see if it picks up. I don't know if it'll be a trend or not. I think sheet masks have quite quite got a long way to go. Uh, they seem to be all the rage at the moment. I People just bought using one them. like the other day. <laughs> Any good? Like, um, I, I'm going to try it. But just like these, like, it's like a like a thick tissue kind of thing and you just put it on your face. Like, I think it was a Garnier one. It was like £1.50. Sorry. Okay, yeah. Anyway. anyway. And I think multi-purpose makeup products are going to be very popular as well. Still popular. Okay. Um, you know, you've got your lip tinks, lip and cheek tinks, tints, and then also um, a lot of like warm shades, pink and oranges. Um, I think they're probably going to be, they're quite wearable, so mm. they'll be quite popular. Anything on the horizon? I think the celebrity collaboration the kind of influencer collaboration is going to shift and I think we're starting to see it already so there was a spate of high profile YouTubers that got to work and connect with amazing and huge brands and I think there's been a bit of a I don't know if backlash is the correct word but I think there's been a bit of a shift with brands to go back to more mainstream famous stroke celebrity people that was my uh, next topic because I'm often asked to, uh, can you book me a celebrity? You mean an influencer. And by that, you mean a YouTuber. And really what you want is an Insta celeb because you, you can't even afford that, that, that range there. So, and I think you're absolutely right. There's a huge shift. Brands are fed up, mm. like fed up with what uh, Kim Kardashian has created. Now they're stuck. They can't get out of it because, uh, but that they realize that the content is not so good, that the the followers are, are being bought, and that it, it's actually they need to go back to to real content. So I would like to ask each one of you how many how many K do you have on your blog on your Instagram? What what sort of K are you? Because it's all about the K, isn't it? How many followers? Uh, Sixteen thousand. Okay, so in terms, so do you have one k, two k? Because you know they only talk about the k. So yeah, is it ten k? So sixteen k. Yes. Um, three, three k. I have under a thousand k, and I have just over two thousand. And so on that point, I just wanted to mention the phenomenon of micro bloggers and so a lot of brands have started to see that it's not necessarily about the numbers and it's about the engagement and off my 2k instagram and a few other followers on twitter i've actually amassed um 
a networking organization where I meet up with women on a monthly basis. Connection. Yay. <laughs> um, and that's real contact, real people. And so I always encourage people to like whatever your numbers are, if you want to make an impact, you can and uh, engage with the brands at the level that and at the level that you want to speak to them at and also the conversation. So I'm all about women. Uh, beauty for the woman of colour. You can bring me other stuff, but in the end, that's what we're going to be talking about. Mm -hmm. And if they don't want to engage on that topic at this moment, then they're not the brand for me. So I'm not just chasing brands. I'm not just chasing goodies. It's about having this conversation. How are you catering to beauty for the black woman? And uh, uh, very true. And I really, yeah, because I have to fight that K. How many K? Mm -hmm. uh, who cares about the K? Mm -hmm. We do. No, we don't. And, and your audience really doesn't. Mm -hmm. They care about the content and the inspiration. Also, shall we put cares on the on the inspiration? No, how many cares on the Insta? And I'm like, oh damn. Okay, there you go, 200k. But and then they realize it doesn't work. So I'm I'm all for absolutely all for this. So the next my next question for the four of you is like, how do you? Because sometimes I've got that you've got 2k. Question: You have 2k into. Not really. No, no, but she's very inspirational. She's fabulous. She wears bright fuchsia pink. You see her from far. She's amazing. Okay. And I'm like, oh, damn. How do you compete when you're invited to an event and you have to go? How do you compete to the superstar Instagram who've got like 200K? I just really want to answer this so badly. Sorry. You know, you don't compete. How many Ks do you have? Uh, probably across all networks, maybe about like five or six across Twitter, Instagram, everything. Um, let me, oh, I just can't wait to tell this story. I haven't even had time to even talk about it. But okay, so I went away on um, like a bloggers retreat and I was with other bloggers from around the world. So we um, were in Paris and stuff. And I met other bloggers. Some of them have like almost quarter of a million. I think one of them had two million. Like I don't even know who they were really until I got home and I was like, oh wow, you know? Um, but these girls had no chat, no chat. Like the whole trip, we were in an amazing place. So much culture, so much to do, so much to see. Like, honestly, I spent most of the time talking with the brand people and the production team because these girls had no chat. They just had no substance and you can tell. And look at their case all you want, check their followers, check their comments all you want, but put yourself in front of a lot of these bloggers for five minutes and see if you don't fall asleep with your eyes open. And they spend the whole time on Snapchat, Snapchat and everything, Snapchat and every day. Like I, I would love to use Snapchat and Instagram stories more, but honestly, I'm too busy living my life most of the time. I just don't have time because I'm living. Um, but the point is, is that they spent so much time snapping. They weren't even having an experience. They were showing that they're doing things. And as soon as they put their phone down, they're just not, they're just like, not they're almost like not human they're just like zombies so when i'm in situations like that and and i i was aware when they're like oh are you on instagram oh let me follow you and then like somebody with two million followers and they're like oh you only have like 3k on your instagram and i'm aware that they've probably got an impression that oh she's not really a big deal or maybe why is she even here i don't know but these things go around in your mind there is a stark difference I don't care how many followers with people that have substance like you're saying Natalie and people that just have followers and I think that brands are getting to this point when they're realizing 
that, you know, you can just, they can just get back in the box with all the followers that they want. Yeah, I completely, I'm like, here, here. That is so true. Because the thing is, you can't, you don't compare. You don't compare on the numbers. There's so much more. And I think it's that thing about holding your own and knowing who you are, what you do, why you, what you're representing and, you know, what you're putting out there. And the thing with brands is, like you said, they're starting to notice that. They're, they're starting to notice things like the bought followers. They're starting to notice things like the lack of engagement. They're starting to notice things like who, who's actually following you. And I think the thing with brands, which unfortunately they didn't do for a while, is that they would, for example, you'd have a, a you know, a skin care brand that is essentially for a more mature woman who would then give it to a 20 something year old youtuber and influencer who has people from the ages of 13 to 18 following them and who can't even afford to buy something of a certain price and I think it's that realization that that doesn't work it doesn't work until they're just paying out the money but it doesn't actually impact the brand so now they're starting to pay more attention there's a lot of case like I've got my time my story now (laughs) I've got I've I've got an episode like that where a brand called me to help them to get introduced to the right creative or bloggers or so on. And sometimes I'm also being called to chaperone them. And so at the end, I can say, oh, that one, make sure she never comes back. This one, just give her a goodie bag. This one, work with this one. And we're good. And put him on the first step, second step, all the way to the top. And uh, it was incredible because they really had no clue who they were inviting. No clue. And the bloggers, some of the bloggers were very unprofessional. And there's one guy who stood up out of all of them because he was a super good photographer, a super good professional, a super good person, very polite. He had everything. So my report on him was just like, buy him because he's amazing. But he's going to be amazing anyway. And one of the things that, for me, in in the next trend, in terms of blogging, especially beauty, because really the blogging and the beauty goes hand in hand and it's very strong, is skills. The girls who does beauty, I mean, I'm just, they can't do anything with the beauty, they can't do the hair, they can't do the makeup, or they they, they don't understand uh, uh, the ingredients, what it means, and they they can't make uh, the difference because between uh, A and Z, they're not going to get much work, because they really want people who can talk, who can think, who can um, have a conversation, and who have Skills. Sorry, just picking up from what Shegan said, the reason that I started my blog, I'll never forget this moment, there was an 18-year-old that was reviewing an £80 eye cream and her review went like this. Six pictures with a beautiful background and it smells nice but it was a bit rich for me so I gave it to my mum, PR sample. And I was like, what the actual hell? Like, what does the product do for you? What did it do for your mum if you passed it to her? All of these questions that you would have about the... She would never in a million years buy an £80 eye cream. She was getting excited about a Rimmel bronzer. No disrespect to her, but that's that's her that's her track. That's where she's at. So, But because she's got K, 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 and more K, they will give the product to her. So you were asking before about why I buy so much product. It's because... I'm going to buy that £80 eye cream. I'm going to test it for six weeks. And then I'm going to talk about it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm really hopeful that the shift that you're talking about happens because I think there's lots of us. There's lots of us who have a voice that is really important and represents a wider demographic of women, not just black women, but women in general, that can really take brands and communicate in a way that's appropriate to them. So I'm hopeful. 
I think, unfortunately, what we're in the middle of at the moment is a social media trap where you're getting bloggers who are so busy trying to show everyone what a great time they're having at so-and-so party on Instagram stories or Snapchat. They're not actually having a proper experience. Like, for instance, I went to the Sleek um, launch, so-called launch, a couple of weeks ago, and it felt very much like a selfie party. As soon as they came, the people who were there invited came in they just started taking pictures of themselves I don't think any of them were really interested in what the party was about what the launch was and the PRs themselves they didn't really sort of like push the products themselves it was more about get as many people in there as possible get as many likes on Instagram exactly look like you're having a fun time because if you don't put it on the gram or if you don't snap it it's as good as not it's not happening yeah yeah but I also think that this is down to um, PR event not being as good as it used to be. They don't know how to put the right event together. Usually it's so boring. I mean, I, I know how to put a very good event together because I like to party. But when you have a PR team who's very uh, academic and they can do nice press release. Uh, but they don't know how to party. It's hard to ask them to to put a plan and a strategy together to to do a launch where people are going to have fun and where they will um, uh, organically want to talk about it because it was just amazing how not to talk about it. And I think also the level of the party and the launch had just gone down on the level of the bloggers, you know. But I think it's also a matter of brands and PR trying to get something for nothing and feeling that bloggers are easy currency, you know, get that picture, get the likes. And so they're doing the work for them. And then I think especially as well for the smaller bloggers and bloggers of colour, it's really important to know your worth, whatever you set that at and making sure that that demand is being put out there. Because I think if everyone just accepts that, yeah, let's go and have a glass of Prosecco, a cupcake, a goodie bag and go home, then why should the brands do anything else? So it's evolving, definitely. But I've definitely seen the brands seeing this as easy content. But then I get your point, but then I disagree with you. Because if you... There's a problem with bloggers, whether it's fashion or beauty or whatever it is. Uh, They're not journalists, but they want to be taken as seriously as a journalist. A journalist would never ask for money to go to an event and be paid for it. Whether when you have a blogger, you have to pay them to come to your event. Not necessarily. It depends on it depends on the nature of the I event. I wish someone would pay me depends to, on what to try- an event, I'm just saying. <laughs> it's right. It depends on what you're trying to get out of the event as well. And it depends on what your brand's objective is as well. Some of them want something for nothing, but it's up to that PR to sort of sit down with that brand and say, listen, if you want to get this kind of engagement that's going to create sales, you need to put a bit more work into it. You need to take it a bit more seriously. And you also need to look at who you're vetting. Like I was at an event last week and I sent it to a blogger who had about 64,000 followers on Instagram. There were lots of them. A lot of them were fake. And then when I saw a picture of her again, she was in Ibiza having a good time, you know, with another brand. So some brands need to be a bit more accountable about who they're inviting to events. I also think that brands need to think about bloggers, again, not as a homogenous group, but we're very different. So if you invite me as a 40 plus black woman to your event with a small following, but I'm very interested in ingredients and I'm going to really interrogate you about why did you choose to put that product in? Why didn't you do that? Where is the where is the this, where is the that, your claim says this, but actually it's that, I've used it and I don't like it, did you know that this aerosol makes asthmatic people have an asthma attack, etc. That's my bag. Invite the 18-year-old because she's going to provide you with something 
different. I'm not about the goodie bag. If you want me to talk about your brand, it's helpful to have the product, but I have my own cash money. If I really like it, I can go and buy it. But what I'm more interested in and what a lot of PRs don't do is to tell me seriously about the product. So it's all very well to have the jump up and the party, but personally, I feel like I can make a cupcake. I can go and buy my own Prosecco. Tell me about the blasted product. And if the PR has got nothing to say to me about the product, I'm not interested. So if any brands are listening, you now understand that education could be key in your event and people really want to be taken seriously and get educated. And if you just want to invite me to the party, that's fine. But please follow up with an email, not necessarily a press release, but like a real email that says the questions that I asked you that you're like, oh, I'm not sure. Let me go back. Come back to me with the information I've asked for. But I think this is, the, I think this is where the line it has to be drawn because um, what you're saying is very, very, it's, 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 it should absolutely be like that. But I think because bloggers are not being taken like a journalist, because you would do that with a journalist. You'd had to do this with a journalist. But because you haven't got that status of journalist, and it, it's complicated and I think it's a bit blurry and it needs to be more defined. Um, so my background is in fashion, beauty and wellbeing PR and I've worked both in-house and for an agency. Which PR, which agency? So I previously worked for Space NK and I also worked for um, Nancy Brady PR and, and I've worked like fashion PR as well. So I worked for Alberta Ferretti and a few others. And I think they're PRs and they're bloggers. And I think there's a difference in, in just how they manage the process. So certain PRs will work in the way that Joe just described whether it's with journalists or with bloggers. And also certain PRs are more selective of the bloggers that they invite. Or they have various different events where, for example, they'll have journalists and certain PRs at one bit and bloggers, a certain level of bloggers, at another bit. And I think it just depends on the product. It depends on what they're trying to achieve. So I think it's that thing where I think we're moving somewhere a little bit different now, but I think it's very much on both parts. So I think it's bloggers need to be responsible for how they present themselves in terms of who their brand is and Absolutely. what they do. Absolutely. But PRs also yeah. have a responsibility because whatever piece of coverage you get is coverage. Some, not all bloggers, but some bloggers, they have to take accountability and they have to be more professional bloggers, influencers and wannabes, even the wannabes. But I also think the PRs have a responsibility to source those bloggers. Yeah. No, because I, I think it's, it's very clear. If you look at, you know, the bloggers, if you look at what they post, if you look at their content, you can get a true sense of whether or not they're going to come there and really talk about the products and really ask the relevant questions and really sort of investigate the brand and then go away and write, you know, a, a, a thought-out piece. But I think it's that thing where if you're just looking for the Snapchats and the Instas and everything else then they don't necessarily pay that much attention to them. Okay, so so I wanted to know, what are your beauty hacks? Maybe something that you have mastered recently? Something that is unique to you and your routine that makes your life that much easier? You may have seen it online, you may have stumbled on it accidentally. There's a couple of things that I've started to do recently and it's the kind of thing that made me go, Dum! why didn't I do it before? So applying primer and also SPF with a foundation brush like it's changed my life I came to primer super super late and I was like primer doesn't work it doesn't do anything and I was playing with different application methods and I stumbled across using like a buffer brush and it just applies it 
beautifully and flawlessly and then anything else that goes on is like amazing and I was talking to Denise from Wow Beauty and I was going oh my god I've discovered this thing and she was like yeah we 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 do that makeup artists do that I was like yeah. you didn't tell me but also SPF because it's a slightly thicker and stickier texture if you apply it with a foundation brush and really buff it in you can get coverage flawless and go on and put your makeup on top or go out after. Should you use a foundation brush to do that or a buffer brush? I use a, like the brush that you tried earlier, that yeah. kind of short, stubby. Mm, yeah. Good tip. I've only just recently started using primer as well. And I only used it because occasionally, like I'll get uh, like a breakout or something like this. And in photos, it just looks like so, so I just wanted like so out there. So I wanted something to sort of smoothen that whole situation. And I bought the primer from MAC and it's actually really good. Yeah, really good. What about you, Shagan? Ooh, so two things. Mm -hmm. um, so usually when I do my eyebrows, I tend to, I, well, I used to do the pencil first and then go up around it with concealer, especially if it's overgrown. And then the other day, I think I got distracted, <laughs> put the concealer on and I thought, oh, haven't done the, the pencil bit. And then I went back in and it's a completely different effect. What? Sorry. Okay. Well, <laughs> hold on. So you put your concealer on your under your eyebrow, yeah. under the arch, yeah. and then you put the pencil after. Yeah, and oh. it makes such a difference. And then uh, it makes such a difference. How? It's first. It's it's so much faster. Okay. So I mean, okay. There are two different ways I do my brows. So there's the I'm going out and my brows need to be on fleek. Okay. And there's the I'm I'm going to work. I'm just you know. So they still need to look good, but I don't have as much time to spend on that. Right. So for either one, it speeds up that process. So it oh, speeds wow. up the process. It's so much easier. I find I use a lot less of either the pencil or the powder or whatever it is I'm using because all of a sudden it's defined it. Mm. And for me, it actually gives me a much more natural looking brow. Okay. So that's the first one. I'm going to try that <laughs> because I've started to put concealer under, but then sometimes it can just be a bit much. Yeah. So yeah, so that's, that's, that works for me. Okay. Second thing that I've, I, I've, I did it again. It was one of those purely accidental things where I'd done my makeup, I'd I put some blusher on, had a little bit of highlighter. And then I thought, oh, did I do my powder? I had done my powder. But then I went back in with the powder and buffed it in. And it gives you a much more sort of airbrush looking yeah. finish. Mm. Just And it's, it's funny. And I, so I did it again because I thought, oh, okay. Was that, did that work? Was that an accident? Let me try it again. And what I realized is it just brings everything together. So yeah. you don't then look like you've got foundation Loads. blusher highlighter it just sort of blends it all together but everything still stays in place yeah so yeah that's nice. my other hack real nice Ronke. um quite a few things actually um washing my face with a hot cloth my mum taught me to do that when i was quite young but then i stopped i kind of went once i once i sort of gone back to that it's become so much more just makes my skin feel so fresh and more exfoliated so what i, do, I put the, i put the cleanser on my face and then i literally just wipe it off with a hot cloth sort of dampen the hot cloth like a face face cloth a flannel basically so you just wet it and then you just you just wipe it off with that so it kind of like exfoliates your skin but kind of like very soft and very kind of dewy and then also um eye cream I never took that seriously before I just thought well, I don't need that but I've noticed the difference in my eye because I used to have quite dry patches around my eyes and then once I started using that it gives me that extra moisture that I need which eye cream I just don't even know. Anyone really? Like yeah. I'm not yeah. that fussy. 
It depends what effects you want. So it depends if you're looking for strictly hydration, if you're looking to address any issues, if you're looking for a light texture, if you're looking for a serum texture, if you're going to wear it at night, if you're going to wear it in the day. I'm not looking for anything. It's just that you guys said that I should, I should care about it. So like, I'll send you an email. For someone with someone that doesn't know. I'll drop you an email with like five options. Okay, great. And then also blusher. I used to be really petrified of blusher. I never used to use it. I used to think I'd end up looking like a clown. But then I just started using it. And I really like the way it makes my face look very rosy. Gives me that extra glow as well. So I kind of like that. And then also setting spray as well. The Urban Decay one. Love it. I've heard about this. Love it. I've heard about this. Okay. Uh One other hack. Yeah. Which is a skincare one. Which is... So... You know, like I like to do the double cleanse. For me, Mm. it's an absolute essential. What is a double cleanse? So it's basically you cleanse your face twice. So your first cleanse is usually with either an oil or balm, something that takes off your makeup. Mm -hmm. So your first cleanse doesn't actually cleanse your face. It just gets rid of the pollution, all of that. And then your second cleanse is where you're really going in. So my my first cleanse is usually something that will break down the makeup. um, The makeup, and also if you've got SPF off, off sorry, on, <laughs> then an oil or a balm will break that down a lot better than just any other cleanser. Yeah. And then I follow up. But whenever I want to do a mask, particularly a clay mask, I'd usually sort of clean my face, I'd exfoliate and then do the mask because then it just allows it to work a little bit better. It's just that, especially if it's, if it's either got a bit of an acid in or something, that sort of helps the mask to be a bit more effective. But what I now do, and I was reading about this somewhere, and I think they call it gritin or something. Have you seen it? And you, so you cleanse your face with an, a, an oil or balm, and then you go in with your mask, and then you cleanse it again with the oil or balm. And it makes such a difference. Wow. It just, like, you look at your pores and you're like, ooh, okay, you look clean. <laughs> yeah. Nice, thank you. So I've tried it a couple of times and it works. Okay. I, I, I'm not going to sound like a really pro, you know, you, you're all very intimidating. What do I do? Uh, me, I do everything upside down. I've noticed. That once I've washed my face without I had makeup or I, I use an um, oily um, makeup remover, yeah. you know, like Shoe Mirror, like the, the oily one, yeah. I've noticed that if I put a light fluid um, hydration cream at night, my skin is better. And then during the day, I have to wear the night creams. Is that normal, doctor? Okay, so it's normal. That, that, that's my routine. And for me, because I used to put like the night cream and my, my skin in the morning would be very nice and plump. And, but then I would have the free, the, the, the light. But within two hours, I go like, like a cracker. And to just... <laughs> no, no, it's true. And then, and then to inverse the process, fabulous. You know, really, really good. So that's, that's my, my routine when I think about it. Um, so I have finally cracked my skincare routine and it has made the biggest difference in my life. I can't describe how important it is to have a skincare routine that works, you know, and to even pay attention to it. Um, so one thing that has just transformed my life, and actually my mum's been telling me this for a while because I was using quite um, heavy cleansing products and some with alcohol in them. But now like facial oils are everything. 
everything. I strip my makeup off, makeup off with an oil cleanser. I think it's nothing fancy. I think it's from Enspa, which is uh, like from Mazda or something like that. Um, and then um, I now cleanse with micellar water, which actually really works. Um, and I learned actually um, through work a little bit about what micellar water is. So it actually has things that do attract dirt as well as clean. So it's not just like packaged water, which a lot of people do think. Um, so it really really works and then on top of that so generally what I do is I'll, I'll take everything off with the oil then um, maybe wash with I think I have a face wash from Kiko um, and or micellar water and then after that kind of like a double cleanse as you mentioned I use um, milk like a facial milk a, a cleansing milk from L'Oreal um, and then depending on how my day has been like a day like this then I, I might use um you know L'Oreal does these uh, clay masks oh, yeah. and now they have a clay scrub, yeah. like a, a wash scrub. So, and it's really, really good. So I use the red one, um, which is like for just brightening and rejuvenating. So, um, and then after that, I'll always sleep with the face facial oil from the Afro Skin, Afro, thank you, the Afro Hair and Skin Company or um, an Australian brand called What Skin Needs. Um, really, really good. And I just find when I wake up in the morning, I just look so good, you know, then when I don't, I just don't look very good. <laughs> so that's been transformative and I get less spots when I use oils than when I don't use oils. So when I was actually trying to avoid spots by using oil-free everything, I was actually making my skin overcompensate for the lack of oils. And now I use oils, my skin is so much more under control. And same with my T-zone, it doesn't get so aggressive when I use a lot of oils. So that's one hack is facial oils. And if you do have, I don't know about oily skin, but if you do have combination skin, it's just something to consider. Um, and then with foundation, what I've learned is I'm trying to apply very little so I use like a MAC waterproof super stay or something like that so it's really good but with MAC if you use too much you'll be in trouble you know it'd be awful so it's always about like using a little because it has such strong coverage but sometimes you don't know when enough is enough until you've gone too far so I've learned to just <laughs> to put some on and then leave it and go make a cup of tea. And then when I come back, it just, it, like, it gets gives it time to set. You know, like when you paint your nails, you let it set and then it kind of evens out. So I've just found that applying a little foundation and giving it time to sink into your face for like about a minute or two, when you come back, you'll actually realize it's done the job and you don't need to over apply. That I found really, really useful. And I think I don't really have any recent hair hacks. Actually. I do realize that we are coming to the end of this episode. I'd like to thank you so much, ladies, for taking part. This is a really important episode uh, just to kind of really showcase the diversity and the amount of information that's available and also missing when it comes to black beauty and the opportunity for brands and businesses within the black beauty industry and how to do it right. So I'm Louisa Kiwana. You're listening to The Mix Project uh, and the podcast for it, The Mix is part of a kind of wider project of mine that includes short films, photography and conversations from the Pan-African diaspora. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. You can find The Mix Project on iTunes, Anchor, SoundCloud, Stitcher, um, Pod Africa. The options are endless. So just search The Mix Podcast or The Mix Project 
or my name, Louisa Kiwana, K-I-W-A-N-A, and you can find everything from past episodes to what I've been up to, where I've been going on my website, louisakiwana.com, and also on Instagram, uh, at Louisa Kiwana, and uh, we have an Instagram page for the podcast itself, uh, at The Mix Project. So, all right, thanks for listening.